Hello swimmers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. Today's guest is International Swimming World Hall of Fame swimmer Carlene Pipes who has an amazing story to tell. From junior Olympic champion at age 15 to dealing with many years of alcohol addiction and then gaining sobriety to then becoming the most decorated master swimmer of all time with 233 FINA World Masters records to her name and counting. She's an author, a swim coach. She runs faster freestyle swim clinics around the world and Aloha Swim Treks on Hawaii's Big Island. So settle in with a cuppa and listen in to her truly inspiring story. Hi, Carleen, and welcome to the podcast. Aloha, Danielle. How are you today? Going very well in wintry, wintry Melbourne, even though it's supposed to be summer. How is it in beautiful Hawaii today? first of all thank you for having me on your show it really it's really pretty neat we started out as Facebook friends and then we got to we splash did. around in the pool about a year ago today and and uh, now here we are and it's another beautiful day in paradise it's um I guess what would it be about 30 degrees celsius sunny probably will rain tonight pretty typical but what's pretty unusual typical. this time of year is uh our ocean temperature is staying um, a couple of degrees warmer than typical. So it's about 29 right now. And usually it's about 25. So we're, it's kind of weird. That's beautiful. I saw, I saw <laughs> you ran, ran a uh, swim camp there last week. How did that go? Oh man, that is so magical. And gosh, I would love to get a group of people from Melbourne to come when it's your yes. winter and it's my summer. You know, it's just the, the big island of Hawaii is such a magical place. First of all, it's big. Uh, and it's, you know, like you can drive around it in a day, but it's a long day. But what, what's really incredible is we're so far from anything we're like 2,400 miles from the nearest large continent. So our water is extremely clean and healthy. Yes. And and getting to share that with people is just so awesome. And, you know, it was like just one great swim after another and dolphins and turtles and manta rays and spotted eagle rays. And, you know, it's always the stuff you get to see while you're on your swim. It sounds fantastic. Yes, I'd love to come one day looks like a, a beautiful a beautiful trip how long do, do you run those camps for how many days do they go we go five to seven days and what's really nice is it's a long journey to get here so most people are going to you know consider coming to an aloha swim camp and and stay a little bit before and a little bit after but what kind of sets my swim camp so apart from, say, Swim Trek, which is a great product, I love those guys, is the instruction. So each camp includes two private lessons in my analyst pool. And so, like, if you get here a couple days early, we'll do that right away as soon as you get here. And then there's a follow-up kind of mid-camp on kind of a day off. So even though it's seven days, sometimes you actually might be meeting with me eight days, Um but it's, it's just really fantastic. And then what we do that makes it really, really cool is my husband has a GoPro. I have an underwater camera with me. So every swim that we do, I've got a camera. So when we see cool stuff, we take pictures of it and yeah. give you the video analysis of your stroke from that day in the ocean as a keepsake, as a reminder. So it's a little bit of back work on our end to 
come home from a swim, upload all this stuff and then text it to you. But it really makes for a memorable experience that you'll remember forever. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. So yeah. So five to seven days. It looks beautiful. How, how far do you swim on the camp each day in the open water? Well, two to four K and they're mostly out in back swims. Uh, sometimes they ended up being a little bit longer because we'd start chasing a turtle or something like that. <laughs> and next thing yeah. you know, I'm like, uh oh. But you know, we wear a safety buoys, which is such an amazing thing. We we load up the safety buoy with a bottle of water and a squeeze packet of applesauce right. instead of a gel. And you know, you've got some nutrition, you've got some hydration, and you can always rest. And I can see you. So those things are just fabulous to have because it's like oh there they are over there oh yeah there they are over there yeah we just can and they're not big that largest our camp is a size 10 is 10 and we haven't had that many people yet but uh we like to keep it you know a, like a three to one uh instructor slash uh support to to one person so we got we got covered safe but uh, yeah, they're just really magical. And then we do other things outside of it. We, we do some hiking. We do some uh, historical sites. We uh, spend time just hanging out at, at, in shady areas out of the sun. I feed you, uh, make brunch. And, and uh, we have, we just, I don't know. It's just, I, I'm still grinning from ear to ear just on how life changing something like that can be. Yes. The, like there's just something about the big island that speaks the truth. And when you get in the water, you just kind of learn how to let all that go. And I know people go home changed as a result of the, the experience of the swimming, but also the experience with other campers and getting to know them and becoming lifelong friends. You know? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I think that's a, a nice segue into swimming in the master's community because it's it's a beautiful supportive community and just the fact that you and I have connected on Facebook and um and then sort of have started chatting I think when you're around and you have that like-minded swimming um, love of swimming it's a great way to connect with people all around the world oh absolutely And, and you might not get to see them especially during these times right now but you know, I forged some really amazing relationships, like in in people in Melbourne from just last year. You know, I uh, Robbie Wallace, the president of the triathlon club. You know, he wants to bring me back in for their triathlon uh, symposium next year. So we're hoping that that goes off. I said, Robbie, let's plan on it. And uh, Steve Black from uh, or Davy Black uh, Tri Coaching. That was another group of people that I really connected with. And then Gina. Kenny and Kent Cutberg, they, they moved now to Noosa, but yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I've got all these wonderful, and then you, of course, and then of course, Jan and Jerry, yeah, yes. well, that was cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you're right. It's all, the water connects us all. The water connects yes. us all. And, and you know what? It's, it's really not about how fast you swim. That's the thing that people don't understand is that it's just about the fact that we're doing this together. We're yes. enjoying our sport. And I think COVID has really brought home how much we appreciate something when it's gone, you know, and something we absolutely took for granted. And when we're not able to do it, we realize, wow, that's important. And I think that's huge for triathletes who just, grind through a workout just to get to the bike and the run. And now they realize, wow, that's swimming. It does something different than other workouts. And I really notice it when I can't do it. 
And so I think COVID is going to turn a lot of people into lifelong open water swimmers and lifetime pool swimmers as well, because it just, the water just helps soothe our brain. I agree. Yes, I I think the fact we we were locked down pretty hard here in Melbourne um, and we, you know, the pools all closed as well, but we weren't even allowed to um, go within five kilometres of our house. So a lot of people didn't have any access to the ocean either. And I think that missing that swimming and that stretching out in the water and that sort of meditation that you get through swimming, a lot of people miss that. It's so lovely to be back in. I think people are really appreciating being back in the water now. I, I totally agree. And, you know, people always uh, ask me, you know, what's so appealing about being in the water? And I always like to say that I feel the most alive when I'm in the water. But what's funny is that's usually as a result of me pushing myself to near death. <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. I yeah, I feel alive when I'm close to death. Perfect. <laughs> that's, my, that's my sport. <laughs> but I have, I just a, I have a question. To- Go ahead. Sorry. Yes, you go. Oh, I have a question for you. Um, You mentioned meditative when it comes to swimming. Do you know why it's meditative to to swim? I think for me, it gives. It feels like it gives my brain a rest, and I'm able just to get away from the the phone and the computer and 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 anyone being able to reach me, and just the the sound of the water going past my ears and being able to stretch out my body. I think all of those things together give me that sort of form of meditation. Oh. I don't know whether that resonates with you, but that's oh, how it I feel when I'm in the water. Yeah. It it does. But here's an interesting thing about what I've come to believe when it comes to the meditative part is is actually a reaction that your brain creates, not because it's soothing, but because when you put your face underwater, you're stressing the fight or flight mode in your brain. And you get into the water with all kinds of a busy head, right? So the brain overrides thought process and puts you in present moment awareness to keep you alive, to time that breath so you don't choke. And what happens is it's actually an overdrive keeping you alive, leaving very little space for thought process. And what happens is we don't realize that's even happening. You're also negotiating a lane, a lane mate, a wall, a line. You're doing that on autopilot. And when you get out, what you've done is dump the contents of your brain somewhere in the pool. And now it's your choice on whether or not what you're going to pick back up when you leave the pool. So I think that's the meditative state it comes from. Okay, so I was going to ask you a little bit about your swimming as a teenager. So I know before you, um, we'll get to your wonderful master's career in a moment, but I know that you were coached by Mike Troy, who's a two-time Olympic gold medalist in your teenage years. Um, What was it being like coached by Mike Troy? Mike Troy. Uh, it was a cross between the crazy uncle, the mad scientist, and, um, I don't know, just somebody that you wouldn't mind hanging out with at a bar one day. (laughs) 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 Man, the stories Mike Troy could tell you were just amazing. Uh, I mean, he was an incredible coach, uh, 
I, I actually have some log books of, of what we used to swim. It was funny though. We were required to keep a log book and I, I don't think I did except for one summer when I was 13 and just some <laughs> of the workouts. I know it's really funny. It's a, it's a snapshot at Carlin at age 13 and the boy I liked and who was being mean to me and who was nice to me. <laughs> I mean, but it was really interesting. He was kind of an out of the box uh, coach. He had swam under doc councilman at Indiana and uh, was a butterfly specialist, won the gold medal in Rome and tuna butterfly. And as a result, we swam a lot of butterfly. And, you know, the thing about Troy, he was really, really quick to praise people. We, he had a saying, uh, if you got an, like, add a boy or add a girl, add a mic, that's what his license plates were, was at a boy or at a girl, one of the two. Uh, when you got that, that was the highest praise. And I mean, he kept it fun. He, he challenged us a lot. We had Olympic athletes, Mike Stam, there you are. Um, Mike Stam, 1972 silver medalist, Kathy Carr, I think went to the 72 Olympics. And that those teenage years I was swimming with him was right in between the 72 and 76 Olympics. So it was quite, quite exciting. Um, the flip side of Mike was he had a temper. Uh, he'd throw <laughs> things at you. <laughs> Coffee mugs. <laughs> Coffee mugs, kickboards. And I've, uh, I actually did see him throw a desk in the pool, nearly missing a swimmer. And wow. <laughs> yeah, it was, he was, but I think it was because he was so passionate about wanting the best for his athletes. And he yep. saw so much potential in people. He saw a lot of potential in me. And unfortunately, um, the only the only reason why I did so well when I was 15, I mean, I at age 13, I started uh, getting, you know, looking at boys. And I mean, but but Danielle, to tell you the truth, the the life of a swimmer is very, very hard. Uh, yes, I mean, what was your, what was your experience growing up as a swimmer? I mean, tell me what your daily schedule was like when you were a teenager. I think um, similar to you, 13, 14, 15, I started ramping up my sessions. And by the time I was 16 or 17, I was, I was swimming 12 sessions a week. I mean, that's just not, that's unheard of these days. It's a different way of doing it. We'd slog through kilometres and kilometres you know, before and after school. And I think it's when you're at school and you're, you go to swimming, you go to school and then after school you're back swimming and it's sort of a routine. It's a lot harder when you finish school to continue doing that. But um, and I felt that, um, you know, that kind of training that I had back then um, is so different to what I do now as a master swimmer. Yes. I don't yeah. know how many, I mean, you know, you probably did way more than I did, but, you know, we, we would slog out sort of, you know, eight eight kilometres a day or eight kilometres a session at some times of the, the season. Yeah. You sort of doing similar yeah. kind and of kilometres. Yep. Oh, yeah. You know, because yep. the, well, so I was, you know, a product of the 70s. And that was what the East Germans were not quite coming up, but that was 76. So I would have been 14. And it wasn't enough to be swimming just once a day. It was twice a day. And like you, I had a morning session. And in between, like you said, you're going to school with wet hair. You've done more than most 
people will do all day before you've even gone to school. Yes. And school was a rest it's a period. Tough life. School was a, I would fall asleep in class. <laughs> but, but you can't, I, you know, if you're, if you're a hard worker and I was a hard worker, uh, I got great results, but mostly I got really great results if you dangled a prize or a trip in front of me. And so the year before I aged up to 15, uh, we were invited as a team, certain select people on our team to go to a, a trip to Indonesia for um, a competition because we'd been hosting Indonesian swimmers on our team. And the government was extremely happy with how the those swimmers had performed at the Southeast Asian Games. And so we were invited in at the Junior Development Olympic Training Camp in Colorado Springs. Right. So, and Cynthia Woodhead, who went on to break numerous world records not that long after that, was also invited to go to that camp. Well, I turned it down. You turned it down. Oh, I turned it. <laughs> I turned it Why did you turn it? Why? Why did you turn it down? That was that same summer I had my first boyfriend and I had my first alcoholic drink. You know, it was like somebody popped this overfilled balloon that was just filled with stress and training and expectations and you know, all of the things that go with the pressures that you can put on a, a an athlete that has potential. Is that's what I was. And as soon as I had that drink, man, it was just like this immediate relief just flooded over me. Like this is like this feeling of just, ah, I could breathe. And I was like, okay, I want that feeling again. And as soon as I had that drink, I wanted out of the pool and I dove headfirst into the bottle. So that was at 15. 15, yeah. 15. Of course, I didn't actually get to quit swimming. I just had to start hiding my new love. And, uh, and it just became a, a big battle between the coach and my mom. And I mean, I still had some pretty decent success at 17 and 18, enough to get uh, quite a few full scholarship offers, where, by the way, I went to school with none other than Brooksy, Neil Brooks of oh, the Mean Gene. now? <laughs> yeah. Very famous Australian. <laughs> Neil, went to, Neil went to Arkansas. We both went to Arkansas. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> I I don't know Neil. He's um, but I he he was um, he's a bit older than me. But I he was very famous in um, swimming circles in the time I was swimming, and I remember him doing. Well, this is an urban myth, maybe, but he was doing a um, a camp up on the the Gold Coast with Laurie Lawrence. Um, oh yeah, Armstrong's coach, and. He got out of the water and I think Laurie was really pushing him hard. And this is what I heard from someone who was there that he got out of the water and he said, I can't do that anymore. That's too hard for me, Laurie. And Laurie goes, that's not hard. That's not hard. And he punched his hand into a brick wall and said, that's hard. And his hand, his hand started bleeding and Neil didn't say anything and got back in the water and started swimming. <laughs> I don't know whether it's true, but it's a, it's a story that I heard. <laughs> I guess we just have to, you know, see whatever happened to Lori Lawrence's hand. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> true. Well, I have some stories I can't tell about Neil on public uh, radio here. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a good guy. We actually reconnected in 87 and I stayed at his family's house in Perth. And then uh, we reconnected about two or three years ago and I was going to visit him in Australia uh, no, in Bali, because he has a house in Bali. 
And uh, unfortunately, his well, his son ended up saving the life of some kid and got a big award in Australia. So when I was in Bali, he wasn't there. So sadly, I haven't. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I haven't seen him. But anyway, so back to the story. So I choose Arkansas, <laughs> uh, which turned out to yep. be a great party school and a bad swimming school for women and uh, dropped out within a year and a half. Uh, so here, there's a common thread here. Uh, swimmer with potential, waste potential, drinks to think to not think about it also gets an eating disorder because well that's just kind of goes hand in hand you know if you have addictions eating um an eating disorder bulimia is a way to feel like you're in control and then the opposite of that would be the alcohol abuse and an addiction which is a way to lose control so those two addictions played off themselves very well uh, in, in sabotaging any real good performances out of me. <laughs> so, I mean, so, you talk uh, about it now. So you talk about it now. So, um, calmly and, um, so, um, you know, with sort of, um, the foresight, not the foresight, the aftersight that you have, but your, I mean, and I know a lot of our listeners will have read your amazing book, The Do-Over, but it frankly is just an amazing journey um, through addiction and recovery. And I think it's it's really, I was just so touched by the fact that you were able to put into words the lows that you went through and the way that you came out of that. And I loved the fact that you, I remember you quoted something in the book that um, the water was your best friend. The water was your best friend and you, you toasted that when you won your International Swimming Hall of Fame award. And I just thought that was a lovely, a lovely thing. It was, it was as though you found your best friend again and that's what helped you oh. come out of your addiction. Is that is that sort of the way you see it or am I reading into it too much? Oh, yeah. No, no. Actually, it's not even a friendship. It was a love affair. You know, it's a love affair. I mean, I fell in love with the water at a very early age because it filled in so many of the gaps that I had growing up. I, I grew up in an alcoholic home, five kids under the age of seven, uh, dad a practicing alcoholic, mom in survival mode. And when I got in the water and those YMCA instructors were just so encouraging and so supportive and, and you know, it was everything. It was, I mean, the water, I was a skinny kid. I was cold all the time. And you get in this bathtub like water and you're just wrapped in this big hug. And then these instructors are telling you how good you're doing and you're feeling acceptance, approval, appreciation, all those things that just, you know, for me, that was, that was my elixir. I fell in love with the water and then praise. Wow. Um, yes. And then as soon as I started winning and, and seeing the reaction when I won, it didn't matter that I came from you know, such a challenging home life. It just, you know, it, swimming is so clear cut. There's no judges you know, there's no, you know, style points for style. It's right. Just get your hand on the wall first. That's all you yes. got to do. And it doesn't matter if your parents are from, you know, you know, Mars or from, you know, the best club in town. So it's, it's the water is a great equalizer. And I figured that out. I could leverage that pretty easily, but um, yeah, eventually the love affair, you know, and it just came back to this, it was the thing that I loved, 
But there was also a point in time when the price was too high as it is in any relationship and you kind of fall out of love with it. And, and I'm, and, and let me flip this around to present day. I think COVID in the fact that right now, uh, because pool time and training has really had to change. I mean, we just don't have this abundance of hours that kids can train now or adults. And I think that this is going to really change how kids are trained these days, not by choice, but by, by you know, survival. If you want to keep doing the sport, you've got to do it differently. And I actually think that we're going to start seeing Faster times because kids are getting rest, that there's more quality, that uh, there's an emphasis on strength and dry land and flexibility, as opposed to just, you know, kilometer after kilometer of dead swimming, just to put it on a board somewhere that you swam that far. It didn't, doesn't matter how far you swam. It's like, what did you do in that distance? So I'm really excited. I think Olympics are going to be amazing. And I, we're going to be seeing some fat. I just saw it. Wait, what was the Aussie girl that just broke the 200 meter backstroke record in the short course meters in Brisbane? Oh, yes. Kaylee McKeown. Yes. Holy moly, 158 or 159. I know. It's oh. amazing. <laughs> but let me dovetail on that story right there. So when I got sober and got back in the water and started swimming faster than I did when I was the teen protege, right? Um, yes. I eventually got down to a 213 short course meter tuner backstroke when I was in my late 30s. And the American record at the time was a 207. That, that's so, amazing. Yeah. That, it was, <laughs> 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 and, and I sometimes look at some of the times I did in my 30s and 40s and I compare them to if I was to be swimming, swimming that fast when I was in my you know, teen years, they would have been pretty much close to American records. So it's like, ah, but that's the coulda, shoulda, woulda, right? I'm glad. I mean, as, as you mentioned in the book, uh, and Danielle, I have to share this with you. The reason why yes. the book, the do-over is so raw and honest is that there's no other way that I could have written that book with the help of Tito Morales um, without that honesty, because it's had to ring true because otherwise if, if, if anything in there is false, then the whole thing could be false. It's all fictional anyway. And it's all, it's what I remember. And, yes. and you're only as sick as your secrets. And we all have secrets and we, we collect them and they hold us down. You know, just imagine every secret to be like in your, you know, in your purse or your backpack or whatever. And every time you put a new secret in there, you're adding, you know, uh, a five kilo stone in there. Um, you, they weigh you down and they sink you. And boy, when I wrote that book, all the stones came out of that backpack and I was able to swim free of them. And it's just an amazingly liberating feeling. And now I can just look back at it and go, hey, it's just part of the story, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I see you presenting yourself, as though you can look back at it now and you own it. But it was so courageous of you to be able to um, put that down in words. And it must, was it hard to relive it when you were writing it? I think the hard part, not right reading it or going through it, it was very cathartic. I think it was really hard for my mom right. because she's reading parts of 
the life that, you know, and I own a house with her for 20 years. So she's reading and it was tough for her to swallow because she felt kind of like she failed as a mom to protect us from certain events from happening uh, that she she's often said, I wish I would have picked a better dad for you. Well, I wouldn't be here if he did. And, you know, it, it, it was really hard for her to kind of come to terms with uh, some of the what she felt was the damage that had been done to me. And as a result, drinking and actually all of the kids in my family were obviously touched by that. But I said, you know, mom, it's made me the person I am today. And I'm grateful that I'm an alcoholic. You know, I'm grateful for those experiences. And I also came to terms with my dad. I mean, my dad was a brilliant musician and teacher. And what do I love to do, Danielle? Teach. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so for a, lot, uh, for a lot of years, I thought that my dad just gave me, you know, his blue eyes and his dimples and the gene for alcoholism. But no, my dad gave me a wonderful gift. My dad gave me the gift of teaching. And for that, I'm forever grateful. So, yeah, you just let people off the hook in your lives. Stop blaming, let go of those resentments and then stop blaming yourself for making poor choices. What, what was the catalyst for your recovery from addiction? Was oh, there a so from, <laughs> well, let me give you some stats. A lot of people know like the world record stats when they Google me. I always love to say, you know, if you Google my name, a lot of records come up, but not a single police record. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Uh, I did get arrested on spring break for open container, but that doesn't really count. Anyway, um, (laughs) uh, I had, so after dropping out of Arkansas, I ended up dropping in and out of school, uh, college, university, six times. I got fired from so many jobs, I I can't even see straight or, um, you know, count really, because my party lifestyle just kept taking a life of its own. I did have one come back in the middle of that, those dark years at age 25, I, I paid for a bathing suit for the first time, by the way, and went to the Stanford masters nationals and with only training just a little bit placed in all of my events. And then that summer I decided I'd actually would train. So what alcoholics like to do or people with addictions, we have this thing called a geographical because I was still drinking at this time. So you think that if you move someplace else or change your situation, that your problems won't follow you. (laughs) So after having that world record experience, I thought, okay, I'm going to try and make a comeback again. And I moved up to Mission Viejo thinking, okay, I'm going to restart my swimming career again. And uh, this time it'll be different. Well, you know, whenever you do a geographical, like my dad did, he moved us around quite a bit. um, your, Your problems follow you. So uh, I only lasted about three weeks at Mission Viejo before I came back. And I said, you know, what's the point of trying? So that world record was not a good thing. It just really proved to me that I had talent, I had potential, and I truly was wasting it. Paul came from age 25 to 31, approximately a liter of vodka a day. Uh, But that was spread out over 24 hours because I would pass out. I wouldn't go to sleep. I would come to, my body would alert me that it was time for another drink. And then I would um, have a drink and it wasn't long before I was passing out again. So I'd pass out and come to my mom intervened. She got me a, a, an appointment with a doctor. I knew that once I saw a doctor that I would, it would be pretty obvious what my problem was. And within that doctor's appointment in the next couple hours, I was on my way to a rehab 
So it was scary to go into a rehab, um, but it was also the first time that I had some hope uh, that something might be different because I certainly was not able to make the changes I needed. I needed help. I needed outside help. Uh, I went and talks from alcoholism. You, um, from alcohol, you can die. You won't die from heroin withdrawal, but you can die from alcohol withdrawal. And I did not get the easy way where they induce a coma and then you wake up a couple days later. I got the full experience of the delirium tremors, the nightmares, the shakes, the vomiting uh, for three days. And uh, but when I turned a corner, I was grateful to be alive and pretty darn lucky too. If I had not, my, my mom had not intervened on Friday, I probably would have been dead over the weekend. And that's not an exaggeration. That, that's an amazing story. I'm so glad that your mum intervened so that you've now had this amazing yeah. life that you've had after your recovery. That's, uh, yeah, that's amazing. I'm so, I'm so pleased that you're sharing that with us. Yeah, let's, let's have a, a bit of a chat about your master's career. I, I feel like we haven't touched on that yet. But, um, I mean, you've, you've broken over 230 FINA World Masters World Records um, what was your most memorable Masters World Record that you've broken? <laughs> have you got a Have you got a favorite? Wow, there's a lot to there's a lot to like go it, through, but <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? I have to say that the first one, even though I was still a drunk at the time, um, was really interesting because it was the four and I am, which is was theoretically one of my best events, and I hated that event. But what was interesting about when I did that in Houston in, in 1987 was um, a friend of mine, I'd gotten second place in the 200 medley and she had broken the world record in that event. And um, it was a girl named June Ford. And a friend of mine said, you know what, Carlin, I think she's not a breaststroker. You can take her on the breaststroker and a breaststroke and and she's gonna take it out really, really hard in the fly. And you just hang back, catch her on the back, pass her on the breast, and hold it on the free. And we actually executed that plan brilliantly. She went out in like a 108 100 meter butterfly. I think I was out in a 10. And uh, and then I caught her on the back, passed her on the breast, and blew her away in the free and went that 512. Well, the funny thing is, June Ford had the world record in the 200 breaststroke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did she really? So, <laughs> yeah. Had I known, it's really funny. Had I known that, I would have probably been totally psyched out. But uh, I, it was just really kind of funny to have somebody lay out a plan and ex and you executed it exactly. And I have have a video of this, and and it's really amazing because I just charged her. But I, I, you know, you're all you're always going to love your very first. One. The only thing is, is I celebrated, like I have a picture of me after that world record, still in my Speedo paper suit uh, with a beer in my hand. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so let's fast forward to um, 2017, a lot of time yes. in between that. Um, 
My new husband, Christopher, and I went, I just aged up to 55. I had really taken a long break from kind of really racing hard um, and expectations and breaking records. And Christopher and I went to a meet in Holland in January because I you age up. I'm not quite that age, but it's an early season meet. And I had no expectations of going to this meet um, or any world records. And I think the very first event was a hundred fly short course meters and I break a world record. Um, and oh. then the hundred freestyle break a world record, the hundred backstroke break a world record, 200 back break a world record. So I think I came away with four or five world records at that swim meet. And I was just like a kid in a candy store. It was just so pure. You know, I, I just would had a big smile on my face. And I think the big part was, so over the years, let's backtrack a little, over the years, what started out is a very healthy uh, diversion from my old party lifestyle kind of morphed on into its own new type of addiction. And that's only clear when you sit there and you look at the number of records that I've broken. How could that not be an addiction? <laughs> <You know? laughs> So in 2012, I had somebody draw that to my attention that my world record breaking had become my next addition, addiction, a replacement one. And I stepped off the blocks to figure out who Carlin was when she wasn't breaking world records. And I found out I liked her a lot. I like yes. to teach people. I like to help others. Um, I like to go to swim practices and just share with people and not be overly concerned about my times or my pace or my intervals. And it really just lifted a huge weight off my back that I had put there. So going to Holland in that time and, and swimming really fast with no expectation, I think those would be, those would be my, my most favorite world records, mostly because going into that meet, I had so many obstacles. First of all, they wouldn't let me enter the meet. Then they wouldn't let me enter a meet that I didn't have times for. So my program was limited. Then I got there and I got sick the day before. So every at every turn, I had to keep saying, well, are you still just going to show up and do your best? Are you going to show up? And at every turn, I had to say, you know, well, maybe not. And I really let it go and just accepted it, you know, life on life's terms and went and had a great result. And it was fun to share it with my, my husband, Christopher. So, and the, the swim meet in Holland's are, they're so much fun. The Dutch put on a are great they? meet, lots of excitement, yeah. like Australia is really fun. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come to but one of our master's in, meets in Australia. <laughs> oh yeah. I am, I'm planning on it. Maybe when I age up but I have to keep my intentions in check. Yes. And so what, I wish what I would have gone tips? to your meet. Oh, I wish I would have gone to the gay games in, uh, in February. That looked amazing. Oh yes. They ran that in Melbourne. Yes. I know the ones. Oh, yeah. 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 They did. They had a very big, big turnout for that. Yeah. Okay. I have to give a plug for those meets. People, people go, Carlin, why do you go to a sweat gay swim meet? And you're not gay. I was like, I'm not going to a gay swim meet. I'm going to a championship meet. That's well run by a fantastic organization. That's inclusive. They are freaking great meets. And they also have a lot more social activities than the normal meets do. <laughs> so if you ever have a chance and you have an IGLA international, National Gay and Lesbian Meet in your neighborhood, sign up for it. It's going to be the best thing you ever did. So that's my plug for, uh, for Igla Meet. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. So you, what I was your question? I was going to say, I think they would have liked to have that promotion before the meet. They might have got some more um, competitors. <laughs> I know. Well, I was talking to Jan and Jerry. I'm like, you guys should be swimming that meet. Yeah, that's. It's not often that 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 kind of quality event comes to town, and take advantage of it wherever they are in the world. So they're a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. We did have we had a few club members swim it. I I didn't swim it myself because it, it wasn't in the school holidays, so I wasn't able to get time off work. But um, yeah, they had a great time. A lot of our members who swam that meet. And I, I'm not sure how many competitors they had that came over, but it seemed to be quite a big, a big concern. So I think yeah. they, they had a, a successful meet. So, yep, we'll look out for the next one of those. And they had quite a few world records broken and stuff, so that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And so do you see yourself competing anytime in the Masters future? Yeah, I think my plan for right now is to... Well, you know, COVID, COVID has really, um, once again, changed how I think in general, the, the way that the training and that what coaches have to do now, I think is going to be beneficial. Um, I think what COVID, the COVID experience has taught me as our pools closed as well, but we still had this big, beautiful ocean was. I was in the water five or six days a week, swimming anywhere from three to five K at a very leisurely pace. And I was out of the pool from March until September. And then I got back in the pool in Canada in my other home in British Columbia. And here I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. I haven't done any intervals. I haven't done any turns. I haven't done anything and I pop back in the uh, pool and I push off it's 25 meter pool and I said well warmed up with 1500 I said let's push off the wall and see if you can do some hundreds and maybe figure out what the interval will be push off the wall and I come in I'm like 118 I'm like hmm not bad I'll go on one (laughs) thing so I ended up doing 10 100s on 130 just holding 117 I know I have five months not being in a pool, but it taught me a very valuable lesson. As long as you're staying fit, you might lose your feel for the water, but you really don't lose your fitness and breaks out of the pool and from training are a good thing. And I, I know that I'm not going to be as fast as I was in the past, because right now that's going to take a huge amount of time and commitment to get that extra 5%. So I'm pretty comfortable just hanging around in the 80 to 90% range. Um, That's good enough. And so I, I, it's very welcoming to not realize that you, because it's like a, it's like a monkey that has to be fed all the time. You get this fitness and then you feel like you have to be constantly feeding it and feeding it. And now I realize I can give it just, I can put it on a diet and still do pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) but more importantly i think i really really just love just swimming with no pressure yes it's uh, very liberating isn't it oh that's the best word for danielle liberating very much so yes i think i think as you say when when you're training for a competition like that or you know that something's in your future and you're trying to keep fit you um you feel so guilty if you don't have a good session or you miss a session or, you know, family life gets in the way and you you miss a strength work session or whatever it is. 
So I think, you know, as Masters athletes, it's good to take that pressure off ourselves and just let yourself remind yourself how much you love the water and the time that you spend in it. Oh, I would say, I would say in, in as, as hard as it has been with the pandemic, that there are some really valuable lessons that we can all take away from this experience, um, not just in sport, but in really what's important to you and family and keeping people close to you. Um, I think that like for me, for instance, with COVID and all these amazing swims I got to do here on the big island to set up for the Aloha swim camps eventually, it's like I'm running all over the world teaching and I love that, but my carbon footprint is huge. And do I really need to be jetting all over the place when I really like to get people to come here, at least for part of the year, I'd still love to travel some, but I don't need to be running all over the place with this big, you know, expenditure of, of resources. And that's been a huge eye opener for me. And then also too, I'm, I'm working on a downloadable uh, faster freestyle swim course. And that's going to be coming out in probably six to eight months. And that's going to be amazing because if people can't get to me or I can't get to them, it's going to really simplify my faster freestyle technique. And uh, hopefully people will feel a lot more successful in their, their freestyle training. Oh, that's great. That's a good innovation. I think you'll yeah. have a lot of master swimmers around the world um, downloading that and getting some useful information. And then they can come to Hawaii for their follow-up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, but oh, they, I, should, I really, they should. They should. <laughs> well, I do, I do have one goal on the horizon beside, well, I'm actually looking at, a, at seeing what kind of meets are in, in 2022 in Australia early in the summer, like January, February. But... One thing that is on my radar is the uh, International Triathlon ITU uh, World Championships for Aquathon are going to be in Townsville, oh. Townsville in Townsville. August of 2022. It's a 1K swim, 5K run. And right. I would like to be towing the start line for that. Yes, that's a, that's a great goal. Yeah, so it should that should be a lot of fun. I I like to run, I like to swim, and it kind of mixes both two together. So, got some friends in Townsville, so that would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it's and it's really easy to qualify. Like if you go to your nationals, they'll take like twenty deep. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> You'd be surprised. You could you could throw down a fast swim and a thirty minute five k, and probably make qualify <laughs> oh, i'm not a runner i'm not a runner <laughs> oh, you could walk it <laughs> oh, i don't know about that <laughs> Look, before oh. we finish off for today i always like to ask um all the guests that come on the podcast what their favorite all-time swimming training set was or is might it might be one that you do now or one that you did back in your teenage years what is your favorite ever yeah, I would say I don't really have a particular favorite, but if okay. I'm swimming by myself, my fate, my, I have a go-to set and I just like the variety of it. And it's called 300s Loose Change. 
So we got to think of That's like good. quarter quarters and and uh, ten cent and five cent and stuff. So it it's basically a round of each. So it's a three hundred active recovery, two one fifties, maybe the middle fifty stroke, and then three one hundreds descend one to three, and then a hundred easy. So that's one kilometer right there. So it's a 300, three times one, oh, two 150s, and then three 100s. Easy 100. Now you go back to the 300 again, active recovery again. So it's like a steady pace, not super fast, not super slow. And now you're going to go three 100s instead of two 150s. And then you're going to go six 50s, every other one fast. So now, once again, we've taken the whole three $3. We've broken it up yep. into a different denomination, three one hundreds, and then six fifties. So a three hundred pace, three one hundreds descend, and then six fifties, one easy, one fast, and followed by an easy hundred. So right there, that's two kilometers. Yes. Easy on the mind. And then if you want to do that one more time through, then you break it down even more. This time you'll go that 300 active recovery. And then now you'll go uh, 650s and then 1225s. And the whole idea is to try and keep mixing in whether or not you're descending, negative splitting, or um, easy hard. Basically, you're mixing it up. So you're always kind of going, all right, what's next? What's next? And you do that right there with a warm up. You've got a 3K set right there. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Yeah, and very nice. Easy on the mind because by the time you get to the third broken 300, you're done with that and you're on to an easy 100 and you're like, wow. So, so 300's loose change. So each time the, 300, the $3 stays the same, the, the, the next $3 gets broken up into different denominations, hence the word change. And the, the 300 that uh, changes each time, um, is yeah. that, that's, your F, your, that's your effort part of the uh, 1K? No, the 300 is always active recovery. The no, broken, but the next part that follows, the broken, the broken parts, part. Yeah. Yep. The broken parts is where you want to have speed play. Like, for instance, you know, you like maybe work the middle 50 of the 150s or add stroke into it or put a 50 fly at the end or a 50, a 25 fly at the beginning, 25 fly at the end. Depends upon if you have a 50 meter pool or a 25 meter pool. And so, so 300, two 150s, three ones, easy 100. 300, three times 100, descend, six 50s. One easy, one fast, 100 easy, and then 300, 650s, 1225. That's good. I'll have, I'll have to try that out. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I like things that are easy on the mind, but make me think and also challenge me. Yeah, I think that's a really nice one, a nice, uh, a nice set. And good What's that you can favorite? extend it. Oh, yeah. Um, my favourite would be um, 10 100s, freestyle, <laughs> probably. I quite, I quite like that. I, or I like to go back to that. Um, or um, I, I quite like broken 200s um, backstroke, so 450s with um, yeah. descending time or something like that. I, I quite like descending time cycles. Just um and trying to hold my yes. hold my effort. Yeah. 
they're probably probably the ones I like the best with with um, active recovery afterwards, and then I'll try it again. I also really like a um. Or since we've come back into the water after COVID, one of our touchstones each week has been a two hundred timed fins kick, and we we have a Ooh. bit of a race. I have a few training buddies, and we have a we have a bit of a race to see who can um get the lowest time there. <laughs> Are you back at your fifty meter pool that I train with you at? No, no, we're not. That's being renovated, actually. So um, we're we're sort of swimming. Our, our club has moved to another 50-metre pool in the same, um, not far from where you swam with us. But, yes, I've been swimming at a 25-metre pool and um, just moving around because we were restricted to 5K when our lockdown opened and we um, we had to swim within pools within 5K of our house. So that restricted us a little bit, but it's opened up again now. So we're hoping that our pool can um, be up and running again by Christmas. Cool. Hey, I have a question for you. Uh, yes. So am I, am I your third podcast guest? No, you're my sixth, actually. Sixth. Okay. Well, I'm curious. You're, tell me your biggest takeaway from your talk with Jan Jeffrey. I just did Jan this week, actually. Uh-huh. Um, I love her. I know. She's she, wonderful. She took my it? workshop. Yes, yeah, she did up in Noosa. Yeah. Yeah. So even fast swimmers need workshops from time to time, even if it's just to experiment with things that you might not ever try. That's right. Well, I know she took a lot away from that because she, after she'd done that uh, workshop with you, she actually, um, we had our open water ocean season and I remember we went um, we were down at Portsy which is one of the swim classics and we we're warming up and she said oh let's just let's just go out here and we'll do Carlene's short arm freestyle and she oh, the said, chicken stroke yeah the chicken stroke she, she said let's do this it will work well over the where we're warming up had a bit of seaweed and oh. we, we actually um, were quite in quite shallow water and she said let's do the, the chicken arm stroke and we'll get through the seaweed and how do you reckon that feels? I'm going to swim my race like that today. So I know she played around with it a lot. I think she, oh. she really enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, cool. Actually, I think what you're talking about is the over-the-coral reef catch using seaweed instead of a coral reef. Yes, that's probably right because we were yeah. in very, very heavy seaweed. So um, I think she was yeah thinking about that. But I, I believe that she swam the race like that um, with the, the shorter catch because I – I haven't done one of your workshops, but she has explained to me a little bit about it with the wider catch and the entry not coming right through to your thigh. Yes. That's right, isn't it? Because obviously when I I was taught to swim, yes, it was the entry at the front and it pushed right through and you had to scrape through your thigh, past your thigh as you come out. So it, it does feel a bit different, doesn't it? Well, yeah, um, but it's really interesting. Uh, it, the one thing I will say about swimming technique is that most people don't aren't really aware what they what it looks like and what it feels like are two very different things. And coaches are often telling people to, you know, finish their stroke because there's a lot of power back there. But I've kind of put it together like it's kind of like, you know, shifting your car into fifth gear from a dead stop. There's there's power in there, but it's going to take a lot to get it going. And um, you're better off starting off in kind of a lighter gear so you can get some momentum going. 
But if you were to Google any Olympic final in freestyle and pay attention to how they exit their stroke in the back, the hand still travels back towards the thigh. But if you like freeze my stroke at any point in time on a computer screen, you'll notice that my elbow is already in the air. My hand is at back at my thigh, but my elbow is already into the air, which means I've already let go of the power. And if you watch really good swimmers, you'll see a very clean exit. In other words, they're not getting stuck back there. Yes. So now it might appear that they're finishing their stroke. If you really look at it and you can see how easily that hand slides right out of the water, that means they let go of the power a long time ago. And you can go back and look um, back into the 70s, uh, you know, back in the 72 Olympics, and you could see that. You could see it very, very clearly. It's kind of like watching, you know, like Danielle, like when you watch a really good runner, you see their feet coming off the ground very quickly. They're very light. So in swimming, it's not about how much power you exert, it's how quickly you can get out of it. And that's very counter to the old school way of saying, finish your stroke and push all the way back. So it's, it's, it's what the fast swimmers do to go fast, but they don't necessarily always know that that's what they've done because it still looks on the surface like they're finishing their stroke. But the evidence of how quickly that hand just comes right out of the water, as opposed to somebody finishing their stroke, their, their elbow is actually buried underwater in that tricep push that we were always kind of taught to do. Yes. So, yeah. So what, but the thing is, we're not trying to shorten the pole. We're just trying to move the whole stroke forward. So think front wheel drive instead of rear wheel drive. So whatever you take away in the back, you add that in the front in a reach with maybe even a glide. So I have a saying, reach big, but pull short. Now it won't actually be short. It will feel short. And I'm not saying pull it out at the armpit. I'm saying let go before it turns into a push. So try and do a pull without a push. Right. That's, that's yeah. hard. I think that's hard <laughs> to change, isn't it? <laughs> well, actually, once you realize it's kind of like you've been riding, driving around with your brakes on and you take the brakes off, you actually go, wow, this is pretty cool. The only time people are not successful at that, a good feeling is when they shorten the back and shorten the front, then they just spin out. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're taking away the power from the back and we're moving it forward. So whatever you take away in the back, you add it in the front in the form of a reach. It's always been called a reach, not a spear, not a stab, not a slide your hand in the mailbox. Reach, reach, catch, engage, get out. Just like a canoe paddle. Yes. <laughs> Pretty do cool. You find, do you find yeah. that, that with master swimmers that their flexibility affects the way they can get that stroke into the water? They'll have to be quite flexible to do that um, not, wider stroke. No, that's why that's why the uh, slightly wider than shoulder width hand entry comes into play. And I have a really good video, a series of videos that I think your audience might like um, through the VASA trainer, the VASA ergometer. If uh, you yes. Google VASA, Carlin Pipes, there's five videos in which I kind of take the stroke and run it through a bunch of different things and how it applies to the VASA trainer. But if your hands are put in pull-up position, it's very easy to get the catch. It has nothing to do with range of motion. Um, and that elbow is, it's accessible. But if you move your hands straight in a, like straight up over your head or inside, setting up that catch is gonna be impossible. So you're gonna end up going straight down 
or slide out instead of going right to catch and pull. So yes. we don't worry about front resistance in, in swimming. We want it, we worry about keeping those shoulders out of the equation and making sure that you can set that catch up so that you can engage your side muscles yes. as opposed to engaging your traps. Yep. So we want your lats and not your traps. Yeah. So yeah, just so if you put your hand up, like imagine you're going to do a pull up, you reach up and grab the bar, your hands are going to be slightly wider than the shoulders. That's the entry point. Then from there, you put your hands on what I call the box crusher. Put your hands and forearm on a box. That's described in these Vasa videos very clearly. And then you crush the box. So it's called the box crusher. Crush the box evenly, keeping your fingertips pointed forward. I love it. And that'll get and right there. You're out. So box crusher. That's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I came up with that a, one a long time. Give that a try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't need a whole lot of uh, sophistication when it comes to finding out what your stroke looks like. Go to the pool, have your hand your phone to a friend, swim straight towards your friend, preferably on the line, you know, the line on the bottom yeah. and have it filmed in slow motion. So if you're 10 meters out and you swim towards your friend and the, the camera's in slow motion, you're going to get 10, 12 seconds of really good footage of where does your hand enter? What does it do afterwards? Any sliding out or collapsing under is not good. You want to be able to reach, lift the elbow, catch, engage, and get out. So, yeah. So, uh, pretty very, simple. very, very wise words from you, Colleen. Thank you. <laughs> I could talk to you all day, but I know that I have to let you go. Oh, You've got God. some other things happening. So thank you so much <laughs> for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And we, um, I hope that we can catch up with you Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, Have hopefully, I'll be back. In, I'll be back in your neck of the woods next November. That's fingers crossed. Yeah, so. fingers crossed. We'd love to see you here. That's hopefully the world will open up with vaccines, and we'll all be able to travel again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for this chat. And I really appreciate hearing your insight. And I applaud you for what you're doing. And hopefully your audience will find something, some kind of takeaway. Thank you so much, Carlene, and we'll speak to you soon. All right. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. Bye. I hope you enjoyed listening in to today's podcast. You can reach Carlene through her website at carlenepipes.com or through Facebook and Instagram. Her book, The Do-Over, is available through her website or Amazon. Links are in the podcast details. If you don't want to miss a minute of Torpedo Swim Talk podcasts, like and subscribe through Apple and Spotify. Till next week, keep swimming and take care.